But let us stand as we hear the word of God read from Psalm 119. There under the heading of Va, verses 41 through 48. Let us give our attention to the reading and hearing of God's word. Let thy mercies come also unto me, O Lord, even thy salvation according to thy word. So shall I have wherewith to answer him that reproacheth me, for I trust in thy word. And take not the, tr- the word of truth utterly out of my mouth, for I have hoped in thy judgments. So shall I keep thy law continually forever and ever, and I will walk at liberty, for I seek thy precepts. I will speak of thy testimonies also before kings, and will not be ashamed. And I will delight myself in thy commandments which I have loved. My hands also will I lift up unto thy commandments which I have loved, and I will meditate in thy statutes." This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. O Lord, our God, we do give thee thanks for thy word, which, as the psalmist reminds us, is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. And we would ask, O Lord God, that thou wouldst come and give us understanding, that thou wouldst open our ears, our eyes, and our hearts, that we might receive all that the Spirit would say unto us. And again, we do pray, O Lord God, that thou wouldst come by the work of thy spirit and give us understanding and apply thy word of truth. For we ask this in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Please be seated. Well, as we have looked through Psalm 119, the Lutheran scholar... Um, in the Old Testament, has said that Psalm 119 is a 22-fold string of concise statements of general truth. Psalm 119 is much like the Proverbs, because therein we find those little, short, concise statements that give us understanding of the Word of God. Kyle and Dalich in that commentary there on Psalm 119, remind us that in this 22-fold string of statements concerning the Scriptures or the Word of God, it is addressed by one who is persecuted. As you look through the 176 verses of Psalm 119 that are arranged under the heading of each letter, of the Hebrew alphabet. This is what they call the Christian's ABCs of praise and love for the Word of God. Now, Kyle and Dalich, I think, are helpful in this, that they remind us that it is being written by one who is under persecution. Some would claim that it's Ezra. Some would claim that it's David. We don't really know for sure, but certainly if you look at verse 9, uh, it says, Where will, Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed according to thy word. Verse 99 of Psalm 119 says, I have more understanding than all my teachers, 
for my test for thy testimonies are my meditation. And there in verse 100, it says, I understand more than the ancients because I keep thy precepts. And so the poet or writer is most likely a young man, but one who is persecuted, one who is despised, one who finds that the world is hostile to the true religion of saving grace. There in verse 23, I think this is help for us, helpful for us to go back and see. Verse 23, princesses also did sit and speak against me. Verse 46, I will speak of thy testimonies also before kings and will not be ashamed. Verse 161, princes have persecuted me without a cause. And then over in verse 61, we see the bands of the wicked have robbed me, but I have not forgotten thy law. I think it's helpful to remember these things because as the psalmist here is penning these words um, regarding the law of God and its application in the life of the believer, we find that God's word is comfort and wisdom for those who seek help from God. And the psalmist here is under great affliction. And yet we too often find ourselves under great affliction. Where do we turn? We turn to the Word of God. We turn to the Word of God, which gives us understanding. We turn to the Word of God, which is a path for us. We turn to the Word of God where we might incline our hearts unto His testimonies. The old particular Baptist preacher and commentator, Samuel Pierce, perhaps that name is not familiar to you, Um, But Samuel Pierce was a contemporary of Charles Spurgeon, perhaps a little earlier than Charles Spurgeon. But um, he is particular in the sense that he was a Calvinist. All the Baptists over a hundred years ago were Calvinists. There were no Arminian Baptists. And so Samuel Pierce, in speaking of Psalm 119, says something I thought is quite interesting. He says, Psalm 119 speaks of Christ, whose whole life, heart, and obedience was perfect to the law of God. Christ in his perfect humanity was motivated by obedience to God's law and is a mirror of all grace and perfection exemplified. By the imputation of Christ's righteousness, we are called to walk in obedience to his law, his statutes, and his ordinances. I think there's a tendency for us to, and I've mentioned this before, to divorce any thought of Christ from the Psalms. But this is what Christ sung uh, when he was upon the earth, when he gathered in the synagogue. This is what they sang. They sang the Psalms. But I think it's helpful for us to understand that Christ in his perfect humanity fulfilled all of the law of God. That Christ in his perfect humanity shows us how we as fallen and sinful creatures can keep the law of God and find it a great delight to our souls. As we begin looking at this section under Vah, 
there in verses 41 through 48. Again, Samuel Pierce in verse 41 says that the whole or entirety of Christ's holiness, zeal, righteousness, and love for God were all internal acts of his will. His outward obedience are the effect of what was within him. And there's a tendency, I think, in our day for the church to think of sin as those outward forms of obedience. But really, the heart of sin is those internal things, those things within us, not necessarily outwardly. And yet Christ demonstrates for us that we are called not only outwardly but inwardly to keep all of his commandments. Pierce says that his outward obedience are the effects of those things that were within him. And here he says under verse 41 that Christ was appointed to be the salvation of all of his elect. And so the result of God's mercies or God's covenant loyalty is salvation. And so when the psalmist here in verse 41 says, Let thy mercies come unto me, O Lord, even thy salvation. The outcome or the result of God's mercies to his people is the salvation that comes according to the word of God. Notice here the psalmist describes the mercies in the plural sense of all of those mercies that flow out of that covenant of redemption, that covenant loyalty. Even Samuel Pierce, who would certainly not follow the um, Westminster standard of the covenants, would certainly recognize, and I think this is right, that there was a covenant between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit in eternity past. And in that covenant, they interacted with one another that they would enter into a covenant with all of God's elect. And that is what we call the covenant of redemption. And so here the psalmist reminds us that it is the mercies of the Lord that come unto God's people, even the salvation according to God's word. And so the results of that would be the salvation that we have in Christ. And so as the psalmist is working through in this, there's no order here in Psalm 119. There's no uh, chronology. It's just simply these short statements, much like the Proverbs, which shows us the importance of God's law and the, the effect of God's law in the life of the believer. And so as the psalmist begins here asking, and this is a prayer, all of Psalm 119 is intended to be a prayer. He's, as he's praying, let thy mercies come unto me, even thy salvation. He begins in verse 42 by saying, so shall I have wherewith to answer him that approacheth me, for I trust in thy word. What is the proper response to our enemies? Oftentimes the prop the response that we give to our enemies is is one of anger and hostility. And that is not the proper response of a believer. 
But here's the proper response that the psalmist gives us when we find ourselves being reproached, when we find ourselves being being, uh, persecuted. So shall I have an answer to him that reproacheth me. The only response that we can give to those who reproach us is that response that comes from a heart of salvation. If our heart is not changed by that saving work of Christ, if Christ has not changed our hearts internally, then we have no response to the Word of God. Because a heart that is not changed by the Word of God certainly cannot begin to think of the importance of the Word of God, cannot even begin to think of a proper response. And so the response to the one who reproaches me is that one of giving a proper response to our enemies, to give that word in season when those who rail against us and speak against the Lord Jesus Christ and His kingdom, our response should be as one who trusts in the word of God that we might have that right response. What does Peter say to us in 1 Peter? He tells us that we want to give a reason for what? The hope that is within us. How do we give a reason for the hope that is within us if we have no hope? How do we give a right response if we don't have the righteousness of Christ Jesus working in us? And so this is what the psalmist reminds us of. That when we are reproached, and again, Jesus tells his disciples that we will suffer persecution. We will find ourselves as a reproach. But when we do, we are to give a proper response in due season. And the proper response to our enemies is one that will lead, perhaps, to repentance. Oftentimes, you will hear people speaking ill of the church because they see the hypocrisy of many who claim to know Christ. But if we truly are in Christ, if we have that salvation that comes from his covenant mercies, then we have the means by which to give the proper response in that season of life. Spurgeon reminds us here in Psalm 119 that a holy fear is apparent in the life of the psalmist In his prayer, he is pleading for grace. And that is the heart of the the, uh, psalmist. When he's under reproach, when he's under persecution, when he finds himself in the the heat of, of persecution, he's crying out, he's pleading for God's mercy and grace. Didn't Jesus pray that? Now here's here's where we want to be careful because obviously Jesus in his obedience was impeccable. He had no sin nature. But what was he doing in the garden? He was praying. He was praying for us. He was pleading that the Lord would grant us grace. And so we find here that the psalmist, out of a sense of zeal and holy fear, prays and pleads for God's mercy. Verse 43, Take not the word of truth utterly out of my mouth. 
for I have hoped in thy judgments. Read verse 43 and and you come away from there with a sense of awe and wonder. That the psalmist, the one thing he, he does not want is for God to take that truth out of his mouth. He would rather lose everything else in life than to lose that word of truth. Because that word of truth is the hope that he has in the judgments of God. Notice here, in often many of these verses in Psalm 119, you have that Hebrew parallelism. Let not the word of truth be taken out of my mouth, for I have hoped in thy judgments. That is the hope of the believer. And if the word of God, the truth of God, is taken out of his mouth, then he has no hope. In God's judgments, he has no hope in times of persecution. He has no hope in times of affliction. And so he, he prays there in verse 44, So shall I keep thy law continually, forever and ever. I think Samuel Pierce uh, really understands this well, perhaps better than most modern commentators. Because when you look at verse 43... I believe it speaks of the Lord Jesus Christ. So shall I keep thy law continually forever and ever. Do we keep God's law continually forever and ever? No, we don't. We fail God. We, we, we sin against him daily. We, we fail to keep his commandments. But the Lord Jesus Christ did not fail. The Lord Jesus Christ kept the law of God continually forever and ever. But in his, he in our stead, he who has granted his righteousness unto sinners enables us to keep the law so that we might internally and externally keep what he has commanded for us to do. But that is really the heart of the psalmist, that he might keep the law of God continually. You know, when you're sitting there in your morning devotions and Oftentimes, I think this is something many people struggle with. Well, you do your Bible reading and you go to prayer and what happens? Your mind shuts off. Your mind begins to wander. Your mind begins to think of other things. But here is some very important things that we can utilize in prayer, particularly when our minds go empty. Come to Psalm 119 and pray, Lord, I desire to keep thy commandments. Grant unto me the grace that I might keep thy commandments, that I might walk in that way of liberty. Notice here in verse 45, the psalmist says, When I keep thy law continually, I will walk at liberty. And here's the contrast in verse 45, for I seek thy precepts. If I'm seeking God's precepts, if I'm seeking God's commands, then I will walk in liberty. If I'm not seeking God's commands, then I will not walk in liberty. And when the psalmist hears talks about liberty, he talks about that freedom to walk according to the commands of God. Freedom in walking in the paths of the Lord produce holiness. Freedom in walking in the paths of the Lord indeed are good for us. 
The psalmist is not talking about freedom from restraint. The psalmist has no understanding of freedom apart from the law of God. And yet in our day and in our nation, we want to throw off every restraint. We want to throw off every moral restraint. And guess what's happening? We're seeing chaos. We're seeing confusion. We're seeing all of this Violence within our nation because we are walking in open rebellion against God's law. And yet the psalmist says, I will walk at liberty, for I seek thy precepts. The Lord Jesus Christ sought the precepts of God. The Lord Jesus Christ walked in freedom. He was actively and passively obedient And yet for the believer, for the one on whom the Lord shows mercy and kindness, he will grant liberty. He will grant strength and the grace to seek thy precepts. If one is not actively seeking the precepts of God, he will not walk in liberty. He will not walk in the freedom that we have as sons and daughters of God. So we need to seek those precepts. Now again, we are fallen and sinful creatures. And yet, we are reminded by the Apostle Paul that we are what? Dead to sin. And we are alive in Christ. And if we are dead to sin and alive in Christ, then we can begin to seek the precepts of the Lord. But notice here, the response or the the result of that walking in liberty in seeking the precepts of the Lord I will speak of thy testimonies also before kings and will not be ashamed the thing that comes to mind as I look at verse 46 is those examples that we will look at in the Acts of the Apostles. Peter, standing openly in the courts, speaking and testifying of the work of Christ. Stephen, the first martyr of the Christian church, standing there praying as he was being persecuted, as he was being put to death, giving testimony, even in that time of affliction. I mentioned this morning, Christopher Love, that, that Welsh Presbyterian minister in the time of the Civil War in, in um, England, as he was put to death. Paul the Apostle before King Agrippa. Paul knew that it was his calling and his duty to speak before civil magistrates. Let me just make this point because many would argue against this, but I think those who have been called to the ministry of the word have the responsibility and duty to speak openly before civil magistrates. We have not seen that in our day, so we're, we're learning how that is properly done. But what did John Knox do? Did he walk up to the most ruthless sovereign in the history of, of England and resort to, to criticizing and condemning her? No, he spoke openly to her. 
He addressed her properly as Madam, as the Queen. But John Knox was not ashamed. He spoke to her of the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ and of her responsibility. And so we have examples of of those who were bold in their testimony before Christ when they spoke before kings. And here we find those words from Romans chapter 1, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the salvation unto those who believe. Little shame in sin, but hate sin, and be not ashamed of Christ. Bear witness, bear testimony to the saving grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Perhaps one of the greatest joys that I've experienced in perhaps the last number of years is seeing some of our young people out in the cold, rainy, damp weather in front of an abortion mill, standing for life. And we have that privilege, we have that opportunity to give testimony, always standing for Christ. And I would say even to young people here today, you have the privilege and the responsibility of giving witness and testimony to friends and those you know. But here the psalmist was not ashamed to speak of God's testimonies even before civil magistrates. Always be ready to stand for Christ, no matter what the consequences may be. Verse 47 tells us that I will delight myself in thy commandments which I have loved. Again, see the Lord Jesus Christ who desired the law of God. Verse 34, we saw last time, Give me understanding, I shall keep thy law. Yea, I shall observe it with my whole heart. And here we find the Lord Jesus Christ having delighted in God's law. He delighted to do the will of God. And here the psalmist says, I delight myself in thy commandments which I have loved. How can we delight in that which we don't love? If you love something with passion, you will give your wholehearted delight to it. You will spend your time with it. And here the psalmist says, I have loved thy law because I have delighted in it. So here's the contrast that we often see. I delight in thy commandments, which I have loved. And yet without the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ, we cannot even begin to love the law of God. Yet here's the delight of the psalmist. It's difficult for a Christian to bear testimony for Christ when you're walking in rebellion, when you're walking in sin. And I think it's important for us to know that the wicked can spot that insincerity and that hypocrisy very quickly. And so if we are going to bear testimony for Christ, then we must begin to delight in his law and we must find it 
to be our delight. The psalmist closes out here and says, My hands also will I lift up unto thy commandments, which I have loved, and I will meditate in thy statutes. Lifting up the hands is that expression. It's, also, it's almost that extension of lifting up your hands to seek strength from where? From heaven. Draw your attention over to Exodus chapter 17. I think this is an important example of this extension of the hands. But Exodus chapter 17. And verse 11. And it came to pass when Moses held up his hand that Israel prevailed. And when he let down his hand, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands were heavy, and they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat thereon, and Aaron and Hur stayed up his hands, the one on the one side and the other on the other side, and his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. And Joshua disconfited Amalek and his people with the edge of the sword. Notice there in the congregation of Israel, they held up those heavy hands of Moses. Moses extended his hands. The people of God prevailed in victory. When those hands fell down, Israel did not experience victory. But here the imagery is of Moses lifting up his hands as the mediator under the Old Testament, praying on behalf of the people, interceding on behalf of the people, that they might have victory. And so there in Psalm 119, verse 48, the psalmist in lifting up the hands is seeking that strength that comes from heaven. Moses held up his hand, and so the psalmist here holds up his hands that he might find strength from the Lord. The psalmist says, I lift up mine eyes unto the hills, from whence forth cometh my help. My help cometh from the Lord, who made heaven and earth. And so the psalmist looks to the Lord, that he might love God's law, that he might love his commandments, that he might meditate in the statutes of God. We've talked a lot about meditating upon the law of God, and that's really the theme of Psalm 119. And again, meditation is not just simply sitting idly, like uh, somebody doing some Eastern meditation where you just empty your mind of everything. But the point of meditation is to fit, sit, <clears throat> excuse me, and ponder God's word. To sit and think about what does it mean. For me to delight in the commandments of God. 
What commandments do I fail in? Where do I need to find greater duty to love God's law? And so meditation is the breathing of the heart. The Puritans said meditation is is really chewing on the word of God, but it is the heartbeat of the believer. And so as we come to the end of this section tonight, and as we consider again many of these wonderful short statements on the law of God, is it our desire to meditate on his statutes? Is it our desire to love the commandments of God? Is it our desire to keep his commandments, to seek his precepts? Oh, if you have no desire to seek after God, if you have no desire to seek his commandments, then I would plead with you tonight to seek the Lord, to cry out to him for mercy because you are under his judgments. But if you are a believer and you're striving to keep his law, if you're striving to seek after him, plead more and more that the Lord would grant you mercy, that you would seek his commandments. You might, as the psalmist begins, find that those who are undefiled in the way of God are those who walk in the law of the Lord. And the Lord Jesus Christ, who is our righteousness, who covers us in his perfect righteousness, has taken away our defilement, has taken away our sin and our guilt so that we might walk in the law of the Lord. And believer, walking in the freedom of God's law is the greatest freedom that we have. We might talk about freedoms and liberties that we have to carry guns and freedoms and liberties to assemble and worship and all of those things we talk about as Americans. But the greatest freedom that we have is to walk in the law of the Lord and meditate upon it day and night. Let us pray. Lord Jesus Christ, we do give thee thanks that thou indeed has kept all of the law of God perfectly. We thank thee that internally you kept it perfectly, that outwardly you kept it perfectly. But you did that in our stead. And, O Lord Jesus Christ, we would plead for thy mercies that thou wouldst give us greater understanding that we might keep thy law. We would plead with thee tonight that thou wouldst give us the freedom to walk in the paths of righteousness for thy name's sake, that we would seek thy precepts, that we would speak of thy testimonies even before those whom we have opportunity to even this week. O Lord, bless this word to the benefit of our souls, and we pray that we might find greater delight in thee and in thy word. For we ask this in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. We will sing together this section of Psalm 119. Section F, O let thy loving kindness come unto me.